Coming up on this week's Please Bear With Me, Michael and I argue about Baylor's offense. I tell you why you shouldn't freak out, why you should be confident against Oklahoma and former Oklahoma and Midway Panther safety Khalil Houghton is with us. This is Please Bear With Me. Welcome into this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. My name is Scotty Swingler. So glad to have you with us back in Houston, Texas, recording this with my co-producer, Martin Thomas. And we are coming to you excited to be 9-0. Could not be more happy. I think Martin said on a previous episode that if we lost every single game but we beat TCU, it would be all right. I did say that. You did. Well, we've won every single game, and we beat TCU. Which is even better. It is. It's a good feeling, man. Good grief. During that game, I was throwing stuff. I was screaming at the television. I I have not gotten that passionate and emotional watching a game on TV. In person, obviously, I have. But watching a game on TV, that one just drove me about crazy, man. Heart attack. Yeah, ask your doctor if your heart is healthy enough for Baylor football. I saw that meme today. I saw that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Baylor football putting its putting us through it this year, man. All these tight games, close calls, overtime, fourth quarter comebacks. Hey, let's talk about this. And I'll be brief. I, I won't go like I did a couple weeks ago. I told you to stop freaking out at halftime. And every single one of you, when it was 9 to nothing at halftime, you freaked out. <laughs> And I just don't know what to say anymore. And, and uh, you know, I guess there's two ways to watch a football game. I guess you can watch the first half like that and be morbid about it and, and be nitpicky. Or, as Matt Rule has proven and Charlie Brewer has proven four times this season, four, like, don't count this team out. Don't count them out. Until the whistle blows, end of game, no chance to score again. This team has a shot to win. And a nine-point deficit doesn't scare me. And at Oklahoma State, it was a 10-point deficit, and it didn't scare me. That is not a lot of points to be down in a football game. That's two scores. Easy peasy. And yeah, do I wish we had scored a lot more points in that first half and even that second half? Yes, I do. But we got it done and i'm just like i see a bunch of people i see more baylor fans martin being upset about the way in which we've won than the fact that we're nine and oh and firmly in first place in the big 12 and at this point we're at least two and i'd have to look maybe three games up on third place in the big 12 like we take care, even if we lose to Oklahoma, we take care of business against Texas, we will, and Kansas, we should, and you're tied for first place and going to the Big 12 title game. I don't understand the panic. Can I mean, can you explain a little bit of that to me? What do you think? I think the panic comes from when we see games that we're supposed to win, like TCU, like Rice, and we don't blow everyone away with our performance i think we start questioning whether we're actually as good as we've been saying we are so why wasn't everybody blown away with what we did on the road in manhattan or what we did on the road in stillwater i think we were all amazed with what we did in stillwater manhattan as well i think the the baylor fan base was like hey you know i didn't think we'd win like that that was incredible especially what we did in stillwater with the last quarter, we were all very happy with that and surprised it happened. So I guess I guess I'm frustrated because it's like none of the, we forget that stuff though when we're in a tight game. And I understand TCU is off this year, and I understand Texas Tech sucks this year, and I understand West Virginia sucks this year, right? And all three of those games, and you mentioned Rice, that's another good example. All those games, much closer than I'm comfortable with. Like I'm with you, Baylor people, but we won. It's over. 
And and there's still people, I'm recording this on a Sunday evening, there's still people on social media today complaining about the way Baylor played. And, and I don't get it. I mean, and in overtime, you okay, what do you want when you're getting in that fourth quarter? Get us to overtime. And then when they got to overtime, we cruised. I mean, I know it went to three because our defense at that point was just exhausted, but we did everything we had to do in overtime to win the game. Well, I think we were also frustrated going into overtime in the first place because there was uh, that pass that I think it was to Denzel Mims in the fourth quarter that would have won the game. Uh, that The ball was just a bit Fleeks. overthrown. Yeah. Oh, it's to Fleeks. Post to Fleeks, yeah. Oh, and I want to talk about that. I want to I want to talk about that. Because a lot of the the hatred, okay, here's here's what happens when we watch football. And it, it breaks down. Baylor fans see us struggling and they say, okay, what's the issue? It's not our defense. We have the best defense in the Big 12 this year. There can be no question. We lost our best back seven player when Clay Johnston went down. Replace him with Terrell Bernard, who's turning out to also be a freaking beast. And we haven't lost a step. That defense is incredible and has kept us in every one of these close games. Okay, so fans say, defense isn't the problem. Let's look at the offense. And this is where people get lazy. There's only two places people point to on the offense. Charlie Brewer or Jeff Nixon. And neither of them are the problem. I was going to say, I feel like everyone's pointing to the O-line. I'll get there in a second. I see a lot of people, though, still whining about Jeff Nixon and saying, still, unbelievable, there is about three people. It's time for Gary Bohannon. Chill. Like, okay, is Jeff Nixon an elite offensive coordinator? No. Does he always call the right play in the perfect, you know, in the right situation? No, I'm not telling you he's great. Like, that's not why I'm here. But I'm telling you, he's calling good enough games to win. He is. A lot of times, in my opinion, it comes down to execution, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's a receiver, whether it's Charlie, uh, whether it's a back. He's calling good enough games to win us every ball game. It's execution that's more of the issue. So then when we look at execution, people say, oh, well, it's Charlie Brewer's fault. And I hear this. Charlie Brewer can't throw the deep ball. That's bullcrap. I've seen him throw enough touchdowns on deep balls. I've seen him throw enough fades. I saw him overthrow two, not just to throw the fleeks, but there was one just a few plays before that. He overthrew a deep ball. The dude's got a plenty good enough arm to throw the quote-unquote deep ball in college football. Is he Bryce Petty? No. But the dude can, can put some air under the ball. His interception yesterday, horrible. That was not a good ball, but it wasn't that he can't throw it five more yards. It was just an inaccurate throw. Two, don't tell me Charlie Brewer is inaccurate. The guy is the most accurate quarterback in Texas high school football history. Do you know all of the quarterbacks who have played Texas high school football? I'm talking about Drew Brees. I'm talking about Baker Mayfield. I'm talking about Robert Griffin, right? I'm talking about Andrew Luck. I'm talking about Matthew Stafford. Okay? Charlie Brewer, more accurate statistically than all of them. The throw, the interception yesterday, atrocious. No excuse for it. He would be the first one to tell you that. He's thrown four all year. That's I'll take that. Through nine games, your quarterback's going to throw less than half an interception a game. I take that from anybody. So... Charlie's not the problem. The only thing I saw yesterday about Charlie is, is he hurt? And that's a that's a valid question. He has taken so many shots this year. He was a little gimpy yesterday. You wonder if his arm's 100% was the way he was throwing a couple of balls. Okay, is he hurt? I don't know. But I'm going to trust that if he's in there, he's good enough to make enough plays. And even going into overtime, I was like, Charlie Brewer's going to win the game. He is. It's what he does. Like at this point, it is undeniable. Once something happens, like if something happens once or twice, it's luck. With Charlie Brewer, it's happened about five or six times now. It's not luck. It's who he is. He's a winner. And I just want to remind you of what I said 
about Charlie Brewer two seasons ago before he had played a snap at Baylor. What did I tell you about Charlie Brewer? Here's the audio from season one of Please Bear With Me. Charlie Brewer will be a better college quarterback than Zach Smith or Anu Solomon because he's special. He has the immeasurables. To come in as a true freshman, undersized, with no expectations, and compete for the starting job as long as he did, that's a testament to what he is. Charlie has Nick Florence-esque moxie to him. He has swagger. He's a leader. He has an ability to rally guys in the huddle and spark the offense to success each and every drive. I think Charlie Brewer is a really good football player. I like his mobility. He's deceptively quick. And I already think he's the most accurate quarterback on the squad, especially on short and intermediate routes. I know he gives 100% every snap, and I know it was only the spring game, but Charlie looked more comfortable and confident than Smith or Solomon. He has incredible poise. I think Charlie is one of those glue guys. Charlie Brewer will be a fan favorite. Charlie Brewer is going to be a superstar. He has charisma. He's gritty. His ceiling as a college quarterback is so freaking high. I can't wait to see him excel for the Bears in the future. And I'm telling you, he's going to go off in a couple of years. And you will have heard it here first. Charlie Brewer is the guy. Okay, so li- so listen. Charlie Brewer is not the issue. He's great. He's awesome. I, r- I ride or die with Charlie Brewer until he graduates. Okay, Gary Bohannon has had some nice runs. He's fun to watch. I like putting Gary Bohannon in three or four plays a game and letting him run. I do. He's just as effective of a weapon running the ball as any of our running backs. Okay, I'm into it. He has not proven he can throw the football. If you think he can throw the football better than Charlie Brewer today, you're nuts. He can't. So, stop telling me it's Charlie. Offensive line, and this is where I think Bartleman and I later are probably going to get into it. That game, if we had lost that game, I had already typed up the tweet, even though I knew the whole time we were going to win, believe it or not. I was ready, though. Is on Casey Phillips. It's on Casey Phillips. What, four false start penalties? It felt like every time there's a big play, it was a penalty on him. Every time you're in a good situation, penalty. Uh, my fiance, Ambry, love her. She doesn't know football. And she's asked me to kind of help her understand football, you know, and and just explain some of the basics to her. And on several plays where Charlie was in trouble, she said, what happened? And so I went back and looked and I said, oh, left tackle, Casey Phillips got beat, got smoked by that defensive end. Well, is he a starter? Well, no, he moved over there when the starter got hurt. Okay, Casey Phillips is really struggling at left tackle. That's That's what it comes down to. And this offensive line has been the slowest and and worst uh, position on this team since Matt Rule took over, and I still don't think it's his fault. It's it is what it is, and I you know I wouldn't have moved a tackle to center this season. I wouldn't have you know, but I you have to trust. Okay, if Matt Rule is doing everything else right. He's doing this right. And that brings me to Sean Bell. You heard Blake Blackmar say it on this podcast a few weeks ago. Sean Bell is has to had to learn when he took over the position of offensive line coach. He had to learn some of the technique stuff, right? He had to learn how to teach offensive linemen technique. Okay, I'll give you that. He's he was a Big 12 quarterback. He's not a lineman. But Blake Blackmar said in terms of implementation of game plan and scheme, there is nobody like Sean Bell. His knowledge of the game is definitely firsthand. He had us looking at things much more through a quarterback's eyes. He was great when it came to game planning and scheme. Like the the game plan was always very clearly communicated to us. You know, and that stuff changes all the time throughout the week. And so he was on top of, you know, like all the little changes uh, because not only is he aware of what we need to do, but he's aware of what the quarterback's most likely going to check to. And he's kind of aware of that, how quarterbacks think, the thought process that's going on. So it was, I think that was probably the most valuable thing he brought was that firsthand knowledge of the guy that we're protecting. In terms of telling the offensive line, 
this is the game plan, this is what we need out of you, and in terms of coaching them up to what the team needs in a situation, he's doing exactly what he has to do. It's not his fault they're not executing. Maybe that's a controversial take. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's what a coach is supposed to do, right? Hey, if you're a good coach, you get your guys to execute. I hear you. And I've said before, I don't think he's a long-term offensive line coach. I think he needs to be coaching quarterbacks or receivers or anything else on the offense, to be honest. But I don't think it's his fault that Casey Phillips can't block good defensive ends. I don't think it's his fault that we had like seven false starts yesterday. Rule said it was crowd noise and they were having trouble communicating and and I don't care. I don't think it's Sean Bell's fault. Like, sorry. So let's bring it to this. Has the offense played up to its potential this season? No. Has the offense, this is where you're going to disagree with me, has the offense played well enough to win every game? Yes. Why would I why would I disagree with you? They literally have played well enough to win every game. We're undefeated. Well, but but okay, that's my point though, cuz everyone is is crying and whining about the offense. And I'm like if they play well enough to win, I'm cool. Like yes, I'd rather see them take early leads. Yes, I'd rather not sweat every game. Yes, like we're going to need to score 30 or 40 to beat Oklahoma. But I think we're going to. <laughs> I'll get to that later. Uh, this offense has played well enough to win every game. I don't know. That's that's the way I'm looking at it. And and I've had, you know, yes, you're allowed to be critical as a fan. Yes, you're allowed to expect the best from your team. Okay, I'm with you. But we're acting like we need to fire an offensive coordinator and bench a quarterback when we're 9-0. Alabama woke up this morning. They're not 9-0. Oh, and by the way, Alabama doesn't have any wins over a top 25 team. Baylor has two, maybe three if Iowa State moves up. Okay, so, and 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 after we beat Oklahoma and Texas, there's a couple more. I'll just go ahead and show my hand here. Ah, I'm tired of getting angry about Baylor people. I just want to have a good time and celebrate that we're 9-0 and our team's playing great. Sick and Bears. I'm in a good mood. Sick and Bears. I'm joined now by former Midway Panther and Oklahoma Sooner, Khalil Houghton. Khalil, how's it going today, man? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, I want to start with this. Why don't you tell everybody what it's like growing up in and around Waco and around Baylor and, and playing football and, you know, being a great high school football player, one of the really highly touted recruits coming out of the area, and then, you know, getting an offer from Oklahoma and choosing to go to Oklahoma. Why don't you tell us some of your story and tell us about that? Yeah, 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 no problem. It's uh, it's been really interesting, you know, because uh, I've been in Waco, you know, pretty much my whole life since I was about probably, you know, two to three years old. So, um, I've pretty much been through the, you know, all the different Baylor eras, you know, back when they were terrible, back when they had RG three, back when you know. So it's it's been it's been pretty crazy to you know grow up in this environment. You know, there was definitely a point where I grew up as you know as a Baylor fan. You know, I was always going for them and always show up to the games, even if there wasn't you know a lot of people there and stuff. So. Um, you know, Waco's a great place. I've always really enjoyed it. Met a lot of great people as well. Um, so, you know, as I as I eventually got to the high school stage and, you know, eventually they were calling my name, I, you know, I was really excited about that. Uh, I could definitely see myself playing for Baylor. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I ended, up making up that, ended up not making that decision um, just because, you know, there were definitely some other things that I felt like played and they came into play. And um, there were definitely some things that I felt were more important to me than, uh, you know, than, than so, you know, just staying home. Um, so that was really difficult, you know. At the end of the day, it definitely came down to those two, OU and Baylor. But, um, you know, I've always loved Waco, always loved the people. Even when I come back, you know, it's nothing but love. They always, you know, embrace me and, and everything. So it's always it's always a great relationship with Waco. 
You know, Oklahoma is one of those premier, you know, top four or five programs in the country, man. So I don't think there's a lot of people that could blame you at all for for finding something there that that appeals to you. So what was it during the recruiting process, you know, about Oklahoma that made you make the decision to go there and play football? Yeah, well, the biggest thing was uh, probably when I took my very first visit there, it was one of my unofficials for one of the junior days. Um, you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I actually did not like Oklahoma growing up, so it wasn't like I was really like, oh, dude, this, this might be the place where I'm going to go. But, uh, you know, I, I came up for a visit, you know, and it was uh, it just felt like home, you know. I mean, I know it sounds, you know, probably really, really mainstream when people say that, but, man, that's what, really what it felt like being on campus. I just loved the vibe. I loved um, the setup. The coaches were great. The community was great. Um, the fan base was rocking. So, you know, there were just so many positives about it, and I love the energy. And, and I just felt like, you know, a lot of people think, you know, it's really different from Texas, but to me it felt like I almost was still in Texas, you know. Uh, so for me it, it didn't really feel like it was that much of a change of setting. And, you know, I'm topping up all the success and the bowl games and all those different things that they had. Um, you know, it was, it was very enticing. So um, there was definitely a lot of a lot of glitz and glamour, but there were also, you know, a lot of great energies that I felt. So, um, ultimately, that's really what uh, kind of helped me make that decision. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, you were part of a couple of Big 12 championship teams there and had some success. Uh, I want to know this. I think a lot of Baylor fans and a lot of college football fans have a lot of respect for Lincoln Riley as a coach. And we look at him and what we see is an offensive guru, someone who's a, obviously a brilliant offensive tactician in mind and has coached, obviously, some of the most successful quarterbacks of the decade by far. Um, but what is it like as a defensive player playing under Coach Riley? Is he really a, a head coach who has his hands in both sides of the ball, or did it not even feel like you were even playing for him? I'm curious of how that dynamic was at Oklahoma for you. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because, you know, he's he's a big, big offensive guy, and, you know, he basically lives, breathes, all that other other stuff over there. But he would definitely – the biggest thing that I felt about him, you know, that he did really well was, you know, maybe he may not be as involved as the scheme as far as the defensive stuff, but, but you know, he'd definitely come and check us out in practice, and he would be – he would make sure that, you know, where he couldn't help us exactly with the, with the schemes and the concepts, he would make sure that we made up in effort, energy, intensity, those type of things. So, you know, you could never just sit back and think, you know, you're about to have, you know, just be with your defensive coaches all day. No, you definitely had Lincoln Riley, you know, off on the sideline in your ear, you know, telling you, hey, that's that's not good enough. You know, we got to go harder. We got to have better energy, better hustle, you know. So, um, overall, I think he was, a, he was a really great coach. He was very motivating, definitely a player's coach. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like he was – over there skimming up all the defensive defensive calls or anything, but he definitely knew, you know, what he was talking about and things like that, but he, he expected so much more out of us other than just understanding um, play calls and things like that. No, that's great, and that's what a head coach should do, you know, using his strengths but also commanding the respect of the whole team. I love that. So what's it like then, Khalil, as – a guy that grew up in Waco and grew up at Baylor games. Sounds like you and I grew up pretty much a lot alike. I was the same way growing up, you know, going to all the Baylor games, good and bad. Um, but what was it like then to come back and play that first game back in Waco while you're wearing crimson? What was that feeling like for you? Oh, I was. I remember I was nervous, man. I was like, man, like I'm really supposed <laughs> to go back to Waco and play the team that I just pretty much chose again, like after I grew up my whole life there, you know, so – I was definitely a little nervous, but also excited at the same time, you know, just because, you know, all that intensity, you know, it, it, it definitely it definitely kills the fire in a way. So, um, but I, I definitely remember being on the, on the field that first time, and I felt like they were all kind of in my head. So it was interesting. And then, you know, as the years went on, you kind of, you know, the intensity kind of died down with, you know, once our brothers and them were there. But, I mean, it was definitely still always – you know, it was always intense going to battle with them, especially because you know, I had my former players, the people that I played with in high school, played on the Baylor team. So, um, man, it was always it was always a fun match. I always enjoyed it. I always looked forward to it. So, so, yeah. So looking over the course of your entire career, if you look at every game, every snap, every uh, what are two or three of those stories or memories that are going to stick with you forever? You know, what are two or three of those things? Uh, the games or the situations or the moments where you're like, man, that's that's what I'm going to remember forever. What was the some of the best highlight moments for you as a player at Oklahoma? 
Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, by the way, we played in a lot of big games, so I felt like, you know, there were definitely a couple of games that um, will definitely stay in my memory. You know, like one, like my, I think uh, 2017, my junior year when we played at Baylor, that ended up being a closer game than we all expected. But that was one oh, of the yeah. first games that I had really started, and to do that at in Waco at Baylor uh, was pretty awesome. So I was pretty excited about that one, and the fact that it was that close, you know, made it even more intense, and it was great. Um, and obviously, you know, the uh, Ohio State game, uh, also that same year, actually, uh, that was really fun, too, going up there in, uh, you know, Ohio and playing, playing them on their own turf and actually getting a win was, was unbelievable. Um, but one thing that I also really loved, I love the guys there, you know, the people that I came in with my class and, you know, just the friendships that I made. It was always a lot of fun and, you know, going through the process of, you know, just sweating and dying together. And it was, it was just so much fun. Um, even when you're out there and you're like, man, it's too hot for practice. I'm not trying to do this today. You know, like, at least, you know, you got that camaraderie with the other guys and, you know, you go through it together and that's just what makes it even more special. So, um, just building those bonds in the process. I love that part of it. Heck yeah, man. I love it. Uh, t- so tell me this, you mentioned your teammates and the camaraderie and that was actually part of my next question is I want to know who are two or three of your teammates who, whether it was just they, they impressed you or they were just so fierce, who were two or three of those guys that you played with who really uh, just blew you away and were really fun to play alongside? Man, that's, that's also our question. I felt like we had so many different guys, man. It was, it was especially on the offensive side, it was, it was almost too hard to keep up with. You know, we had different guys like getting to cover people like Sterling Shepard, D.D. Westbrook, and, you know, C.D. Lamb, all those kind of guys. It's, it's almost, it's unmatched, like, you know, just, Playing against that kind of caliber of talent is just insane. Um, but, you know, there were definitely some on the defensive side of the ball that I definitely loved playing with, like Eric Stryker. That guy was uh, – he was amazing, man. He was he was definitely gifted athlete, and, you know, his energy was off the charts. I don't think I'd ever seen a guy be so upbeat and just have so much energy all the time, and he's, he's just, his engine never died. Um, you know, Zach Sanchez was another one I liked playing with. He was one guy, you know, before I even got actually into college, he was one – I thought was an, was an amazing athlete and, and also a person as well because, you know, not only did he have that physical aspect, but mentally he was also uh, very smart. That's why he was able to make a lot of plays. So, um, you know, almost like it felt like, you know, coming in, I felt like, man, these guys are legends, and then I get to play with them. And so I felt like that was pretty crazy. And I don't know, it was, just, it was definitely so many people that I could name off, you know, just left and right. Yeah, and you used the word legend, and man, uh, there's not a lot of schools that can claim they've got legend after legend, but every single guy you just mentioned definitely qualifies, and you know, yeah. I think I think the, my listeners of the podcast, Khalil, this is a question I did not want to ask you, but I think the people that are going to listen to this podcast are going to rip me to shreds if I don't ask you. Yeah, what is playing with Baker Mayfield like, and what is he like as a guy? Because he's such uh, a he's such a legend and a myth at this point, yeah. as, as far as his personality and his fer- ferocity and just everything about him. What is playing with him like, and what's he like as a leader on that football team? Oh yeah, he's he's an interesting guy, you know, because you know I get so many questions like that all the time because a lot of people see him, um, you know, on TV and they see you know the kind of rowdy guy, the one who's always intense and fired up and uh, you know he definitely has that outside of you know the media too as well like you know in practice he's going to get the same out of you like if he sees if he falls on you he's going to talk smack to you but in a, in a way that's you know kind of like motivating but it's also like hey friend you got to step it up so um, it was always interesting for me and him we also kind of had like a little bit of a prior relationship just because midway him like Travis had actually played in state um, I can't remember what year it was like 2013 or one of those years uh, so it was yeah. interesting you know, to see that kind of had to have that kind of form that uh, relationship that way. But man, you know, honestly, I thought he was a great guy. Um, he's just an intense guy, and I mean that's something that's it's hard to keep up with, especially when you know he's always going to be honest and he's always going to be outspoken. So it can be definitely be difficult. But you know, considering we were all you know on on good terms with him in the locker room and stuff, you know, I think we all loved him. Uh, he would have done anything for us, and you know, he went hard. So. But if you didn't know him or, you know, you weren't really on his side, you know, he probably was not going to be the coolest dude to you. So um, <laughs> it was definitely all about perspective for sure. So that's uh, for sure. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really funny way to put it. And I think that's what a lot of us would have expected you to say, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I'm sure he was a fun guy to play alongside. So tell me this, how much – I know you're back in Waco. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But how much have you kept up with – 
the team since you left. I'm sure you you still watch all the games and you've kept up quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I def. I mean, I don't know. I haven't kept up with the defensive staff as much just because uh, after this last year, they actually pretty much clean house. Um, but I mean, I definitely keep up with all the guys. I actually visited for one of their games um, where I got to catch up with a lot of them, so that was cool. Um, but you know, there there are only a couple that I probably you know keep in touch with you know on a week to week basis type thing, but. Um, hopefully, I'm, I'm expecting to talk to a lot of them whenever they get back down here uh, in Waco. So, really excited to you know catch up with them and, and whatever else. So, well, so I want you to tell me. I want you to do a little analyst work here. I want you to break down this game coming up for me because the Big 12's been crazy this year. Everybody's beating up on everybody. It um, definitely has. You know, and I still don't understand how Baylor can almost lose four games. But they kick Kansas State's butt, and then Kansas State beats Oklahoma. And then yesterday, you know, Iowa State almost comes back and beats Oklahoma. And it's just, it's been a crazy year for the Big 12. And you've, uh, I think, to everybody's surprise, got a 9-0 and Baylor team now with, with Oklahoma coming into town, college game day coming into town. It's a huge matchup, probably the biggest game of the Big 12 season so far. So, Khalil, tell me, I know you've probably watched both these teams just a little bit. Uh, what do you see out of both of these teams that you like, and what do you expect this Saturday? Yeah, one thing one thing I know about Baylor, man, they always got talent. Offensive, defensive side of the ball, they've got it. I think the only thing that they've you know, that they really had to work on is, you know, trying to put it all together in one game and be consistent with it, you know. So, anytime I ever, we ever had, whenever we had Baylor on the schedule, that game was coming up that week. We knew we were about to get their best. They always came extremely hard. And no matter no matter what film you watched, whether it was that year, the year before, doesn't matter, the week before, they were going to play different. Whatever you saw on film, it was not going to be the same Baylor that you were going to see in person. So that's one thing I know I can definitely expect out of Baylor this week. And I know they're definitely going to probably give Oklahoma some problems. So um, it's going to be interesting for Oklahoma. I think for them, you know, they've got to try and, trying to stay consistent and trying also, you know, not worry about the hype with the game day and all that other kind of stuff. Because for them, I think they just they need to get the W, and I know they can do that. They've got the offense to do it. Defense has been out there balling so far. You know, maybe had a couple decent, you know, iffy games, but I don't think that solidifies, you know, how well they are as a group. Um, so it, it's going to be a good game for sure. I mean, I know that it's always going to be really intense. I know that Baylor offense is probably going to try and put up insane numbers. So the biggest thing I think I think the telling of the tape is going to be the defense, you know, on both sides. If one of them can, you know, come up big that night and make a lot of plays, a lot of turnovers, I think that team has definitely got the chance to win. Well, you know, everything you just said is going to sound real good to Baylor fans because we've got, I think, statistically the best defense in the conference this year, man. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I mean, I, I, I think Baylor could definitely give them a run for their money, you know. So it'd be a good game. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, so yeah, I love it. You'll be there, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Heck yeah. Well, hey Khalil, I'm gonna let you go here in just a second. I appreciate your time, but I did want to give you an opportunity. Uh, you know, I've heard you're working at D1 there in Waco. Uh, I I didn't have a long membership there, but I worked out there a little bit during my uh, graduate years. Why don't you tell everybody who's listening who might be in Waco uh, what you do at D1 and why they should get a membership to D1. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so I work at D1, you know, as a as a fitness trainer. Um, it's definitely different than a lot of places that I've ever actually even worked out at. Um, they've got a lot of great gear and stuff, which is, you know, great for any place that you're even trying to go to. But the one thing that I really liked about that place is, you know, is, is this, the camaraderie. It kind of it has a real team feel, you know. The members that I see, it's always great. Um, coming to see them come in every day and try to work, work on their goals and not only just come and work on themselves, but, like, they also – hold each other accountable, almost as in a team atmosphere. So I've really liked that aspect. It's really kept me going and really encouraged me to continue to strive and, and coach and try and just feed into people's lives and have them do the same for me. So um, it's a great place not to just, you know, transform yourself physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, it's a great place. So, I mean, even if you don't want to buy a membership or anything, you know, it's always a great place just to stop by, um, you know, at least check it out and, you know, to see all the different types of people that we have and, and, you know, the kind of community and vibe we have. So, uh, yeah, that's really all I got for my little spill. But but appreciate you having me uh, on, the, on, the, on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, my man. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Matt Shelf of the Shelf Realty team at Caldwell Banker United Realtors. Matt is a Baylor grad and a longtime listener of the podcast. He and his team in Houston are pros and can help you buy, sell, or rent whatever your real estate needs are. As a young guy, Matt is great with renters and first-time home buyers, and he employs a lot of cutting-edge technology to give experienced home buyers and sellers a great experience too. If you or someone you know is looking to move, even outside of Houston, they're happy to give you a free consultation and market report just for reaching out. You can find them online at www.shelfrealty.com or on Facebook at the Shelf Realty Team. The Shelf Realty Team. You, your goals, your home. All righty, I've got my friend Michael Bartleme on the line. Uh, Michael's been very vocal about wanting to come on and make his case that our offense is the worst thing he's ever seen in his life. And so I'm going to let him... That's a, that's strong. Well, that's strong. you tweeted about it only like 72 times the past week. So what? Yeah, that's because our offense is bad. All right, well, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us why uh, what your complaints are. And then I'm going to tell you what I said and see where it sticks. Okay, cool. Um, Scott, I'd like to start off by you letting me know that by you telling us before the or after the West Virginia game, after scoring 17 points, that the offense is, quote, working. Then we played TCU, who is not very good, who we got shut out in the first half by and scored nine points total in regulation. I'm going to go through every game since UTSA and I'm going to tell you our point totals. And then we can talk about whether the offense is good or bad. Against Rice, the great team of Rice, 21 points. Iowa State, 23. Kansas State, 31. Texas Tech, in overtime, 33. Oklahoma State, 45. That is the by far the best offensive game we played this year. Against West Virginia, 17. And against TCU, 29 in double overtime. In fact, I think Texas Tech might have also... Texas Tech was also double overtime. And TCU was triple, but go ahead. Excuse me, TCU was triple overtime. My bad. I'm still like reeling from yesterday. So, point here being, regardless of what the quote stats say about yards per play and total yards, so on and so forth, I don't really care because guess what? We can't get the ball in the end zone and nobody gives you bonus points for yards per play, do they? Do you get bonus points for yards per play, Scotty? No, but I already I already take issue with three things you said. Okay. Tell me what you take issue no, with. The fact number, that we can't get number points. one. Number one. You said we couldn't even score on TCU who's not that good. Do you know who their head coach is? Do you know how good their defense has been this year? It's been really, really good. That is a great defensive team in TCU that played their best game of the season against us. In no small part because Gary Patterson saves his best game plan for Baylor every year. We all know that's true. Number two, you let's casually blow by the fact that we scored 30-some-odd on a really good Kansas State defense. Let's just blow by that and ignore that to make your argument. Uh, number three, what's our record, dude? No, I don't know. That doesn't change the fact that the offense is terrible. The offense is good enough to win every single football game we play. So while we're talking about how great TCU's defense is, they allow... 321 yards per game, we had 270. We had eight yards in the first quarter. Eight. The defense had more total yards in the first half than the offense did. What's the strategy offensively? What's the goal? The goal is to win football games. Is the goal with the offense to score points and control possession? Because we're doing a bad job of both. The goal of the offense is to score enough points to win the football game. And we've done that nine times this year out of nine games. Pointing to the record is not an excuse to say that the offense is good enough. I didn't say it was good. I, it is good enough. It is good enough. Let me tell you what my uh, what I said just a little bit ago when we were recording here. Okay. Um, the because there's there's two issues I have. One okay. is that one is that we are throwing fits about an offense that has at the end of the game won every game we've been in. Yes. Which is a like there's five undefeated teams left in football we're one of them and we're crying mm -hmm. about our team and i just so i don't feel like here's that's my here's my no, response hold on. number two the, okay sorry number two um 
everybody wants to point to one thing. Everybody wants to say it's Jeff Nixon's fault. It's Charlie Brewer, bench him. It's the offensive line. It's X, Y, Z. It's a lot of things. I agree. It's a lot of things. Uh, Jeff Nixon, most of the time, has called pretty good games. The players have had trouble executing in several moments. Charlie Brewer, for the most part, is an excellent quarterback. He's had a couple of bad games. He's thrown four interceptions in nine games. That's less than half an interception a game. I will take that all freaking day. Uh, The offensive line is still leaps and bounds better than they have been the past two seasons. We had our two best offensive linemen change positions before this season. Our best offensive lineman arguably is injured, and the guy that replaced him at left tackle is atrocious. That's, That's just the truth. I'd like to note that the offensive line hasn't gotten better. We actually allow the same number of sacks per game as we have the past two seasons. I think our rushing totals would reflect that the offensive line's gotten better. Okay, well, they've gotten, they haven't gotten any better at pass protection. So. Okay, well, and, and how many of those sacks, and I know it's not many, how many of those sacks uh, go on Charlie? What are we measuring? The best way you can measure the offensive line's pass protection is by sacks per game, right? Like, that, I, I, can't, I don't have a subscription of football insider, outsiders, so I can't, like, dig into pressures per game and stuff like that. It's a little bit more advanced than I got. So the best thing I got is sacks per game. Um, my problem was saying, well, the offense wins every game in the fourth quarter. If they played the other three quarters at some point, they wouldn't need to. That's my issue with every quarterback who we ever say, oh, well, this guy wins games in the fourth quarter. That's great. But if they actually played for the other three, they wouldn't have to. So what margin of victory would be enough for you? Where do we stop I would just whining? Like to, I would like to look not anemic on offense for three quarters of every game. Okay, so, so what? for example, for example, every game since UTSA, we have not scored more than ten points in a, in a in, in the first half. Every single every single game, and that is that is a literal fact. So what I'm saying is, is that at some point, the goal of the offense is to be efficient, to control the ball, to like those are the things that they want because they want to be able to control the ball so the defense doesn't play as many plays. I get that, totally cool with it. My problem is, is that let's say you have six drives and a half, we might get points on one of them. One out of six is bad. I like it doesn't. It, literally in any sport, one out of six is bad. This is even like like even if you want to take baseball averages, where people are like, well, three out of ten is great in baseball. One out of six is still bad in baseball. So here's is one the, out of six bad. Sure. Great. Thank you. Here's the other thing I'm going to say to you, and you represent a, a large segment of the Baylor fan base. Okay, let's not act like you're loony or crazy for what you're saying, right? Large segment of the of the Baylor fan base is saying similar things. You tell me how to fix it. Ooh, great question. Um, so I think it's a combination of things. Um, one, I think that obviously the offensive line has to get be- has to get better. We can talk about the fact that Connor Galvin's been out all year, and I'm willing to admit that that is a that is a large portion of this, right? Yes. But this idea that Casey Phillips is bad, Casey Phillips is our starting right tackle. So we would still be having a problem. It just would be on the right side of the line rather than the left. Throw, let's throw that a little bit out there. So I'm not here to say that like that's the only problem either, right? The offensive line is obviously a huge issue here. The fact that, frankly, like I'm not sure how much, be- like, like how much better Charlie Brewer has gotten since he started at Baylor. I think he's gotten marginally better but for as good as you know glenn thomas is supposed to be as a quarterback's coach i have questions about how much charlie's developed over the past two years i don't think that's crazy to say because he still stares down a lot of his receivers and i know matt rule mentioned he worked through his progression on the chris platt throw but that it doesn't seem like that happens a lot he stares down a lot of dudes um and that's why he ends up throwing picks um also i I don't think i don't think that's fair i think three of his four picks this season have been terribly underthrown okay on all three of those throws i think if he puts five more yards on the ball it's a completed pass okay but i'm, I'm willing to see it on that but you know i i think that part of it is that i think in our quest to be quote pro style i don't think we necessarily set charlie brewer up for successfully in a in a college football environment because i think we're so obsessed with being pro style that we aren't saying you know what will win us games or excuse me, we win games. Excuse me. What will put points on the board is potential is doing these other things a little bit more. Um, I have questions. So I do have some questions about play calling. I agree with you that to an extent, I think Jeff Nixon has overall done a pretty good job. Um, 
but I think it could be better. Uh, I like I, we can point to a number of things. I think it's a litany of problems offensively. I think the fact that Jamichael Hasty has improved over the past four games, particularly running the ball and taking one cut and going, has helped him a lot. But I think the fact that Jam- that every time we put Jamichael Hasty in the game, it basically signals to the defense that we're going to run a pass. And every time John Lovett is in the game, it says that we're going to run the ball is a problem. So running back development, I would say, is a problem because they know that Jamichael Hasty is our best pass pro back. So every time John Lovett in the ga- is in the game, they can stack eight guys in the box because we're not going to throw. Okay, it. so, okay, but... That's fine, and you can have the, all those opinions. I, I would agree with you to some extent on some of them, and I would disagree with you on others. But you have not fixed anything. You've talked to me about quarterback development. You've talked yep. to me about let's change offensive scheme. And you've talked yep. to me about uh, you know some other, like you're talking to me about things that you establish over a three-year time period, not something we can do this weekend against Oklahoma. So tell me, what do they do this weekend against Oklahoma to make you happy? Dude, I don't know what we do this weekend against Oklahoma. I don't think any of this is a one-year fix or a one-week fix. You know what I mean? But at this point, but at this point, we're in year three, and I would expect the offense to start to improve. And if you look at the points per game, we're not getting better. But we're nine and zero. Yes, that's because of the defense. It's not because the offense has improved at all. The offense is not getting better. The offense has not gotten better since Matt Rule got here. The that's, offense hasn't gotten not- better. That's not true. You need to go watch tape from year one and 11. The numbers would say we scored more points that year. Yeah, that's because our defense allowed them to score like every other play, not because the offense was better. Okay. That that offense was atrocious. You you forget how often we talked real good about Zach Smith and he went out there and got pummeled, which is yeah, why Charlie actually, Brewer ultimately became the starting quarterback. Can, because we, we, cut c- that, can we cut that audio? You're right. Heck Scotty. no. We can't cut that audio because I'm right. No, we're keeping the audio where I'm right. (laughs) No, but I'm looking at you and I'm asking you to tell me, my assertion is is that this offense is a problem, and despite the fact that they are winning us games in the fourth quarter, my point is is that if we showed up and played for three other quarters of a game, that we would be a better football team, and I don't think you can look at me and tell me that that's not true. All right, so let's look ahead to this Saturday's matchup, college game day, coming to town, Baylor, Oklahoma, first, second place in the Big 12. This is what you live for as a college football fan. For starters, you know, I still haven't felt like McLean Stadium has gotten back to that vibe and that ferocity that it had when Bryles was here and we were winning Big 12 championships. Now is the time. There's two games left on the schedule. It's Oklahoma, it's Texas. Those are tremendous Teams, tremendous games, opportunities for Baylor to finally shut up the naysayers and that say we can't beat a legitimate team, even though we have. We need to pack that stadium, rock it out. I'm I'm personally this weekend bringing a group of 20 from my church, mostly students and a couple of adults who are like, heck yeah, I'll go to a football game. And, and you know, like let's pack that place out and go hard and cheer on the Bears. But this is what you dream of as a college football fan. Late in the season, winner of this game will almost certainly win the conference. It's statistically like near impossible that the winner of this game doesn't win the conference. There'd have to be a lot of like crazy things happen. And then, of course, these two teams will most likely, if you know, unless something crazy happens, it will be these two teams that face off in the Big 12 championship game. So let's get out there and cheer those Bears on. Uh, game day is coming to town. If you're in Waco, show up for that. Let's let's have a good showing there. But here's what I think is going to happen. This team has proven me wrong all year when I thought they couldn't do it. I got a little nervous before Manhattan. We dominated. I picked both the games in Stillwater and Fort Worth to be losses. We won both. Stillwater, obviously, in dominating fashion. Fort Worth, hey, I'll take a win over a rival no matter how it comes. My thought when we finished playing TCU, and even when Oklahoma finished playing Iowa State and it was tight, was that if you look at paper, I still wonder if Oklahoma's the better team. And and my initial gut thought was, eh, you know, don't know if we're going to win this one, but even if we lose, 
We finish with one loss in the regular season, go to the Big 12 championship game, beat them the second time. You know, I, I think we'd all be okay with that. But I woke up this morning, Martin, and I just have a feeling. I, I just have a feeling I'm more confident about this game than I was going to Stillwater and than I was last week before we went to Fort Worth. I think Baylor's going to win this game. That's interesting that you've changed your tune because two weeks ago I was telling you, hey, you never know, we might beat Oklahoma. And you just point blank said, no, we will not win that game. I know, and they've had a rough couple weeks. And so you wonder, like, they could do one of two things. Either they come out and and don't play their best football like they have the last two weeks, or they could come out and absolutely just wreck and play their best football. But I think the same could be said for Baylor. Baylor's had some two weeks in a row now where they don't play up to their potential and it's tight and you've got naysayers and we dropped in the AP rankings this week. I don't know how an undefeated Power 5 team can drop in the AP rankings. Media, you suck. I'm going to believe that Baylor's going to win every game we play until we lose. I think that's the approach I've taken. And if you ask me like, Hey, put money on it. Is Baylor going to win out and go to the playoff? I wouldn't put money on it. No. No. I mean, the this, the odds of that happening are still slim. Hey, so I just had to double check. What do you mean we dropped? We were 12 before. We're 12 now. I think you might be thinking of college football playoff. I think we were 12. But AP, we were 11. And now we've dropped to 12. So that's frustrating. And that's just the media having SEC bias, but this is not the time nor place for that conversation. I think we win this game, dude. I'm thinking our defense is the toughest Oklahoma's going to play this year, and that feels so good to say, y'all. <laughs> Doesn't that feel great? Like, Oklahoma is not going to face a better defense than Baylor this year. And then the other thing, I, I didn't think this this morning, obviously, but you just heard my conversation with Khalil, and Khalil said... We knew at Oklahoma, even when Baylor was struggling, we knew that when we played Baylor, we got their best shot. They had great talent, and we always had to prepare for Baylor because we knew it could be dangerous. That's so telling, especially, and he even said, you know, in that one-win season, Baylor played us a lot closer than we thought they would. And Baylor does. I think Baylor gets up a little bit for Oklahoma because, let's be honest, Oklahoma, sorry UT fans, Oklahoma has been the class of this conference since 2000. Now, Texas won a national championship during that time, and they went to another. Those two seasons were outstanding. Oklahoma has won 12 Big 12 championships since 2000. And that's in a conference where Kansas State, Texas, Colorado snuck one, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU... They all have won championships. Oklahoma's won 12. They are the class of the conference. And yeah, I think Baylor's going to get up for it. And I think what Khalil said was telling. I think what this team has done all season, proving everybody wrong game after game after game. And I trust Matt Rule as a coach. I think this team is going to be ready. I don't think they're going to come out sluggish in the first half. I think they're going to come out and it's going to be defense bowing up and giving Oklahoma some issues. Now, Oklahoma's going to score. They got Jalen Hurts. They got C.D. Lamb. That's enough. They're going to score. But our defense is going to give them some issues they haven't faced before, and I think our offense is going to be able to keep up because our defense will limit what Oklahoma's able to do offensively. Give me Baylor 31-26. There it is. That's the prediction. That's all I got. I'll make it a I'll make it a better football score. 31-27. There you go. So while we're talking about our defense, something that I've seen every week is people complaining about uh the package our defense is in that we're always playing prevent defense. Uh how, while we're talking about it, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Number 1, to anybody that's complaining about our I already fussed at people complaining about our offense where there's some legitimate flaws. If you're complaining about our defense, you really need to chill because <laughs> they're incredible. Number two, I I've seen a lot of people doing this. We will sometimes go to a soft zone, especially when we're trying to stop the pass. And people just call it prevent. That's that's lazy. It's not prevent defense. Prevent defense is when you literally have six 
to seven defensive backs, all playing deep coverage, all playing basically deep sevenths or whatever of the field. That's not what we're doing ever. We are dropping into some soft cover three looks, some soft cover four looks, and I think people are are misclassifying that as a prevent defense because teams are able to get quick throws uh, over the middle or in the flats when we do that. And the only time it's really bothered me was against Iowa State. Uh, we did that against Iowa State. We got to the fourth quarter. We're up 20 nothing or whatever it was. That, that sounds right. And uh, we stopped being so aggressive. We were doing a lot of zero blitz before that. And when we got to the fourth quarter, we switched to a lot of that soft zone, and Brock Purdy picked us apart. The blitz had worked on him. Uh, when he got soft zone, he was able to dice us up because he's a good quarterback. Uh, I'll say this. Jalen Hurts is a heck of a quarterback and will dice up soft zone coverage. Sam Ellinger, overrated as he is, uh, will probably be able to dice up some soft zone coverage. So, you know, I I don't know who you're talking about, to be perfectly honest with you, Martin. Um, I haven't seen a lot of that this week, especially. But, you know, dude, I I don't think there's, one, any room to complain about what our defense has done this season. And two, I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen us go into a true prevent. We've gone into some soft zone looks. And we have given up some plays in that, you know, but that's defense. You you pick what you think is best to match what the offense is doing. And sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're not. And Phil Snow's proven that more times than not, he's right. And especially, you know, this past weekend, we had three interceptions, you know, so whatever coverages they were calling against Dugan were working. And uh, I'm going to believe that whatever they call against Oklahoma is going to work. And I th- and I think we're going to put a lot of pressure on Hurts. I think you got to make him move and and get him in the backfield. Don't let him sit back there or run at will. So that's where I'm at on that. So hey, let's do this. Tell me what you think on Twitter. Get on Twitter. Find us at Please Bear with me. That's uh, actually the Twitter handle is Please Bear W underscore Me because they don't let me type my whole Twitter handle. And let me know what you think about this matchup. I got Baylor winning by, you know, maybe a score. Let me know what you think, what you think it's going to be like getting Oklahoma in the building, what you expect to see from the offense, from the defense. If you think I'm crazy for for taking a wait-and-see approach on this offensive criticism, I am. I'm taking a wait-and-see. Let's wait until we lose a game and we don't play well enough to win, and then maybe we start being critical. You know, but I don't think it's one thing. I think it's a lot of things, um, including poor line play, including – execution including the occasional bad charlie brewer throw and that happens that's football so that's all my thoughts on that growing up i loved college football and still do today it perhaps gives underdogs the best chance to win more than any other sport it gives you a reason to believe whether you're appalachian state or ohio state my dad went to northwestern not exactly a college football powerhouse but they do have the program motto trust yourself So it was easy to understand where Coach Rule was coming from when he instilled the motto, trust the process at Baylor. It means having faith that you guys are doing the right things and that the victories will come. When my friends and I were at Baylor, we conveyed this faith in the football program with a different slogan. Simply, we are going to win. We painted the phrase on a simple piece of poster board and took it to the biggest game of the 2011 season against number five, Oklahoma. Baylor upset the Sooners that night for the first win over Oklahoma in program history. Robert Griffin won the Heisman, and the rest is well history. We continued to bring this sign out to the biggest games when we felt that Baylor needed to have belief. Against number one, Kansas State in 2012. In the blackout game in 2013 against a top 10 Oklahoma team. And against TCU in 2014, 61-58. Some say the sign has magical powers. Others say it's a relic from a long-forgotten past. But the point of we are going to win is to have faith that your football team will indeed win. And Baylor has given us a reason to believe that we are going to win every time they take the field in 2019 in all three phases of the game. Number one, they have an elite championship-level defense. They lead the Big 12 in sacks and are holding opponents to an average of 19 points a game. Number two, they have special special teams play. They have field goals in three games in the final minute to win or force overtime. And they lead the nation with five block kicks, none bigger than the block against West Virginia, to preserve a three-point lead. And number three, they have a smart 
and experienced players on offense, led by Charlie Brewer, who has comebacks in the fourth quarter that either win the game or tie the game in five games this year. In total, he has eight game-winning or game-tying fourth-quarter drives in his career. Coach Rule has created a chameleon with a team that can win in many different ways, which should inspire belief with every exhilarating and heart-wrenching play. And belief is a good thing. It fuels the soul. And perhaps somewhere, there's an old sign that may just provide some extra magic for Saturday's game against Oklahoma. And so long as you believe in a chance for victory, the magic will always be there. For this Minor Minute, I'm Andrew Miner and Sikkim Bears. Hey, we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Appreciate you guys listening. It's been a blast. We're 9-0. and Biggest game of the year comes up this Saturday. I'd love to see you in Waco. For Please Bear With Me, my name is Scotty Swingler. Sick'em Bears. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check him out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time.